Watch the update required podcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. PST on YouTube. And we're live. Hey, it's the Fornitron. And it's J Retro. And you're watching the update required podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you trust Jay Retro with the sick dive bombs every single time. That's what we come here for. You got to dime bag Daryl that shit. Has anyone noticed Jay Retro looking a little bit more a bougie today? A little bit more a saucy, a fly. How we doing tonight, brother? Doing good, brother. Doing good. Yeah, man. I just came from the office and uh, yeah, just doing the business guy shit this week. So you got to put on the swag sometimes. Uh, but doing good, man, and just getting some gaming done. Great times outside of work. Lots of good games on the go right now. How have you been, my friend? How Dude, I've I've been all right. I've been hitting the videos hard on YouTube. I actually want to take a second and say thank you to everybody who watched my video yesterday it's at 5.5 thousand views so that's incredible uh just crushing it um but yeah no been doing just been keeping busy i heard a rumor tell me if this is true or not at your work you like if someone challenges you like they don't get their tps report done on time you challenge them to a game of uh frog on a log or like the frog and the fly game Yes, this is true. Um, I've I've yet to be beat. There's a lot of late TPS reports, so I get a lot of opportunities to flex uh, my muscle. You know, and it's, I'm just better at catching flies than the average individual. Um, so it leads to a lot of write ups, a lot of disciplinary paths. But you know, I, I heard no it's regret. between that they get to pick either that or NBA Jam, and then either or yeah. And the problem with that is that, like, I want to be better at NBA Jam, but I'm better at the frog on a log game, 100%. That's hilarious. It was funny. I went to, like, a work training thing this one time, and they had an actual NBA Jam arcade uh, machine in the break area. And on more than one occasion, they had to come out and tell people to, like, be quiet because, like, the competition was just getting too riled up. Like people were just like out there, like you're going down, bitch. I'm going to fuck you. I'm going to fuck the team. I'm going to fuck you. Mom. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like yeah, swear it's super loud while people are like trying to do their training and shit. And it was, it was one of my favorite memories. <laughs> NBA gems, a dangerous machine to put in the lobby for sure. That's going to, that's going to spark a little bit of competition. This was like 2013 uh, too. So like, it was like beauty. an old game and like, I never played played nba jam but i love shit talking with everyone we like, had a we had a 360 in the lunchroom at work uh like before the pandemic and i always kind of regretted that no one used it and like it just had like some old fifa and some old nhl uh but i, I would have liked to get some some like nhl 2008 games going or whatever the hell it was i thought yeah. that would be fun but we had one of those like uh not air hockey but like the like tabletop hockey with the little dudes that yeah. you move around with the metal rods and we had like foosball and then we had uh, a pool table so that's pretty bad. sick what games have you been playing this last week bro holy cow what have i been playing you know <laughs> i've been going so hard on the uh new season of fortnite man like i'm just i'm right in there with yeah, last week you season. were saying how tight it is it's the best season like we, <laughs> me and my buddy were playing it this week and i was like i think this is the best season of fortnite that's ever happened and he was <laughs> like i feel like maybe maybe we're just like it's the best season in a long time 
And yeah. so that impression, you know, like just being like, wow, this is good. And it hasn't been this good in a really long time. <clears throat> you know, maybe that's sugarcoating our impression of the game to some extent. Uh, and we, we played for another couple hours and I was like, no, no, I think this is just literally the best the game's <laughs> ever been. And he was like, yeah, you might be right. You you might be right. You it's might be so right. Bro. It's it's so good right now. You've been so, ranking yeah. some sick kills or oh yeah, we've got a couple of a couple of victory royales for sure. We do good, man. Like we don't uh we don't have a problem getting W's. And the fun thing about Fortnite for us is that we do not do it the way it's supposed to be done. There's all these kids out there getting really good at building shit and they're building crazy <laughs> building yeah. towers and crazy shit all over us. And I swear to God, man, we are the kings of playing in the margins. We will <laughs> run around the edges of the map and hide in bushes and hide <laughs> behind piles of rocks and hide in some house. And then you'll be in a fight with some other team at the end of the game thinking everything's going the way it should be. And we will just run up behind the last guy and shotgun him in the back of the skull. Like, this, I don't give a shit. These sound like punk bitch moves. <laughs> Oh, no, no, you think that, but all that matters is that we walk away with that W, man. Like, it's all about winning. That's all it comes down to. I don't give a shit. I'm like a freaking heel commentator here in pro wrestling. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's about the W, McMahon. And people want to get the W. You You're know, just dropping the, the diesel quote left and right every match. Absolutely. Pull those tights, rake those yeah. eyes, kids. Hit him with the ring bell like Whether Bobby Heenan. Whether it's a Heenan quarter inch or a mile, winning's winning, bruh. <laughs> winning's winning. No one cares. The stat column doesn't show that we hid half the game. The stat <laughs> column shows that we fucking won. So oh, we are. I'm we are sorry. The when I look at these facts and figures, it <laughs> says that I'm a fucking winner. What does it say for you? Oh, yeah, that you're a bitch loser. Kill yourself. Okay, don't say yeah. that. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that you spent all those hours learning how to build fancy structures that you could have spent having sex. But now, <laughs> now you're dead and we won the game. That's our strategy. And we ironically, like, we'll get lots of kills. Because a lot of the fights that you get into earlier in the game, those people aren't as good at building. And, like, they'll just run at us and we'll just fuck them up. Because, like, what I am good at is shooters. I'm yeah. not good at building shit. But I have a lot of experience shooting things. So, like, I'm good at 50% of Fortnite, right? <laughs> and so we just really have to work with that. So we're just, you know, we're playing to our strengths, which is that we're much better at shooting things than we are at building things. Yeah. So like, you know, we we build the the requisite amount and we kind of <laughs> try to avoid it whenever possible and just uh yeah, pick smart conflict. It's that's like, that's what I've been playing a lot of lately. That's cool. Do you got anything you want to plug? Uh I'm going to be coming up with a new video in the next day or two here. Like I would expect it like probably up by Friday at the latest. Just on a bunch of games that I picked up over the holidays, how I'm enjoying all of them, and yeah, a bunch of shit I've been playing lately. I know you've been dropping videos like crazy. What was the one that got the five and a half thousand views or whatever yesterday? What did you drop that was so hot? What was so hot? Um, well, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for that next release. If you haven't already, make sure you follow J Retro's YouTube channel. It's really easy. It's just youtube.com forward slash J Retro. Uh, he just changed it, so you have no excuse. Uh, he's got a really good review on Halo Infinite that he just dropped. Um, but yeah, definitely look out. He's got so many games on the go. Like, I don't even know how you're going to keep up with that content. But <laughs> kudos. Um, yeah, so I put out, it's uh, kind of, it's not one of the topics that we're talking about tonight, but um, the Elden Ring character creator got leaked. 
So all of the Souls games, they have a character creator. And but when you do the network test or like the early beta test, they don't give you the network or the character creator. They just give you these set characters that you just play as. So you just start playing right away. And uh, people have hacked the game on PS4s where you can hack that firmware. And then they've been able to download the network test and play it offline. And they're just like opening up a whole bunch of shit in that game that you weren't meant to see. So I just made a quick video like going over like how awesome the fidelity and all of that stuff looks. And I knew it was going to be a hot news item because like I like I saw it posted and I was like, oh, that might be a cool video to make. And I just like quickly made it. And then IGN made a news article and like all these other people were making news articles about it. And I'm like, this is going to be a hot topic. And then I posted it. It was doing like pretty good. Like it had like 300 views before I went to bed. And then I woke up today and it was at like 4,000 views. And I was like, holy shit. Um, That happens sometimes, but it hasn't happened for one of my gaming videos in a while. So I was just like, it was a nice little surprise. But absolutely. But yeah, it's cool. Like just making uh, like videos about gaming and Jay Retro has been a huge help and like getting me to play more than just Souls games. And I swear, I know a lot of my content is Souls games, but I've been playing a lot of other games. Uh, I also made a video today uh, about Armored Core, which we'll talk about later. Uh, and yes. that officially got announced. But I also made a, a, a video a couple of days ago that I finally played Halo Infinite and my time with that. Uh, and it was, okay, I'll say this right off the bat. I cannot deny the controls feel great in this game. The controls feel great. I feel like the mechanics, I can't really speak um, as a Halo player because I'm not a Halo player, but someone coming into this game, the mechanics felt proper for the game setting and I felt like everything made sense and I, and it just like everything just felt good, like shooting a gun, throwing a grenade, uh, grappling, all of that felt really good. Um, for me, like I just, again, I'm not big into shooters. So like a lot of it, I was kind of like, I was like, america fuck yeah and i was just like yeah i'm so jacked and tan right now i don't know but some of it i felt did drag along a little bit but i was in the tutorial area so i like i think that's expected and then when i finally got down to the planet um that's where i feel like the game started to open up as it should and I don't know. Like, I will say it's not my type of game, but I was like, okay, this game plays really good. And I was, I was like, I, like, I can't, I can't deny it. I had a good time. There were some parts where I was like, okay, shut up. Just let me do the boomy boom booms. But like, I have a problem mentally. So that's, that's just, that's, that's, that's a Fornitron thing. Okay. But, um, no, very surprised. Like, uh, me and Jay Retro have gotten into it before with other games, but usually I can tell within like 30 seconds if I'm going to like a game because of the controls. But these controls just felt so fluid. And I was just like, oh, like, why don't other games... Like, there's copying. There's copying like a storyline and characters and things like that. But copy controls, man. Like, if controls feel so good, feel so right, why don't you just do that for all of the games in that genre? Like, you could tweak a couple little things and maybe add a couple extra features, but like get the core controls down. And that's my biggest gripe. Like you play games and you're just like, didn't you do your fucking homework? Why does this feel so stupid? Like, why does it feel yeah. like I'm holding two magnets on the same side and I'm trying to put them together? Like what the shit is this? But uh, yeah, played Halo. 
and enjoyed it. You heard it here first, you know. Just, uh, mark, I got my mark Xbox shirt date. on. Just mark, for you. He's wearing an Xbox shirt because he's so hyped about this shit, guys. I think, yeah, it's it's neat because that's <laughs> he's got to pour that pony juice out. There was <laughs> there was a time when Halo had that effect, right? Like I think original Halo was the first time people kind of looked at two analog controls in a shooter game and were like, oh. It's just you know, before that it was Goldeneye, you know, and so Halo set the bar as far as like, oh, you use the right stick for looking around and you use the left stick to move your guy. And that just fucking works in every way that it could work. How was it even um, done in Goldeneye? Do you remember? The C buttons were strafe. Yeah, so I remember left, that. Left, left and right strafed, right, which would be left and right on your left analog stick. But forward and back on the stick was still forward and back, which would be forward and back on your left analog stick. But that kind of makes that feel like you have forward and back over here and left and right over here. Yeah. Now. So now that's split and fucking weird. And if you and wanted then, to turn around, didn't you have to like torque the joystick? Yes. And so then the joystick to the right and left turned, which is what should have been on the C buttons right and left instead of strafe, basically. Yeah. Like if they would have flipped that right, that thing, it still would have been weird that you had buttons instead of a stick on this side, but they'd be doing what you would think they should do based on your current understanding of shooters on a console. Yeah. Right. Is that on the right hand side, I'm supposed to have like strafe left and right and then look up and down basically. Right. <laughs> um, as opposed. Yeah. The turn. Uh, it's it's oh, sorry. Yeah. The turn. Uh, it's all fucked. Yeah. Like, it's all fucked. It's fucked. It's all fucked up, man. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Up and down on the C buttons was look up and down. So that's right. That should be on that side. <laughs> but the, the, the strafe think... shouldn't be there. Anyone correct us if we're wrong, or JRHO if you know this, but I think prior to Goldeneye, like any shooters were on PC. And for, for the, the shooters part. that were on consoles prior to that, they didn't have those controls either. Like even like on the Super Nintendo when they ported Doom over to there, like there I I don't know. Well, like the Okay, well, here's the thing, is that Doom was on the Super Nintendo, mm -hmm. and Doom's controls were, like, half of GoldenEye's controls. So I think that's where GoldenEye went wrong. Because on Doom, all you needed was front, forward, left, and right. Yeah. So le left and right did turn you to the left or right, and front and forward walked forward and back. And the reason that works was that you didn't have a look up or down. That's true. So then they put would put strafe on the left and right shoulder buttons. Yeah, and that kind that kind of worked, right? But it was as soon as you added that element of being able to look up and down that they were sort of like, "Fuck, we don't know what to do now," right? Because yeah. that made sense with a mouse, and they were like, "What do we do?" And that was yeah, it there wasn't until the first Halo that any game kind of successfully figured out how you put that on a controller without yeah. just making it feel really gross and stupid. Um, and so it's, I just found that really interesting that you say now that, that, you know, you're left with the impression of like, man, more shooters should copy Halo's controls because copying Halo's controls is how we got to where we are now with shooter controls on a modern console, right? So totally. That, that, if anything, brings me like just joy as a Halo fan to be like, they're still doing it. They're still setting the standard as far as just how a shooter 
should feel on a controller. Yeah, but honestly, like when you were the pioneers of that, damn, you should get that right. Like how yeah. choked would you be if you went to play Halo Infinite and they changed the controls to some stupid new scheme and it was just dumb and you were just like, what are you doing, man? Like you got you got Tyler on the corporate team who did the the duck and slide uh idea like get him back in the room because these controls suck like i don't like what, what do you mean tyler's still an intern give that fucking kid his own parking spot he yeah. came up with the duck and slide i think yeah it's interesting like one of the things that master chief collection got really right was that it had yeah it had controls that were kind of modernized but it really let you mess with them and there was a lot of i like that profiles right so there was like at least six or seven different default controls that you could swap between and what i always find as far as like the 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 standard for what a shooter should be in the modern age now i always go back to call of duty actually Mm. um because that's the bread and butter shooter that most people play on console and that has been huge for forever um and so there's little things to me on a controller that if they're not the way they are in cod it just totally doesn't make sense to me anymore I'm like crouch is supposed to be on the b button on your xbox controller right or your circle button on your playstation controller that's where crouch goes and as soon as you put crouch on a stick or anywhere other than that b button i don't like it right um the right bumper should throw my grenade always if the grenade (laughs) is anywhere other than the right bumper you're doing it wrong so there's just little things like this to me and they all came from like medal of honor and then cod basically and the way that those games designed a controller to work that always screws me up like the right bumper left bumper shit because like i'm just such a playstation boy so like i'm like oh they mean r1 and l1 and then i'm like yeah what do they call r2 and l2 i'm like those are just left trigger right trigger or i'm like triggers yes yeah triggers triggers and bumpers yeah Yeah. and then like it's like press y and i'm like why and i have to look and i'm like oh okay this button you know you know which one i like is that instead of l3 and r3 they're just called pressing the left stick and right stick which i'm like yeah because that's what they are they put a weird logo for it and i remember was it i think it was overwatch and I was like stuck in the tutorial area because I didn't know what button to press. I'm like, it should say LS or RS. And then I was just right. like, oh, and I'm like, do they mean press like like R3? And I'm like, oh, well, dude. Well, that's I'm what I was going to say is that like when when I was a kid, the first game you ever played on a PlayStation 1 that was like plus, press R3. You can't tell me that you didn't sit there for a minute being like, but there is no R3. Yeah. You're like, what <laughs> You're the like, fuck? <laughs> What the fuck do you mean? Because it doesn't say L3, R3 on the sticks. No. Right? Nothing I, implies that they're buttons. I 100% in agree. Any way, right? I agree with that. So the first the first time a game said that to you as a kid, you were just like, what? What the <laughs> fuck is L3 or R3? And so Mom, that's one. You got me the raw controller. <laughs> Mom, this one. I need the one with the R3. Yeah. <laughs> And some iced tea. I think that that's one thing that I do like about Xbox's layout is that I think just calling that button left stick, right stick. I'm like, now as a kid, I felt like the first time it would be like, press RS. I would probably be able to put RS together quicker than R3. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I really wish that like, like when you do eventually get a PS5, whenever you get one. I really want you to experience the DualSense controller and like the yeah. haptic feedback 
because it's just on another level. And like when I was playing Halo, I was like, there's a lot of just fucking straight rumble in this game. And I was just, and I was like, oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this is not something we're talking about tonight, but I'm hoping that that rumor that Phil Schiller was, or Phil Spencer, which is the Xbox dude. Okay. He was like, we like what they did with the dual sets. Xbox is thinking of doing its own version of that. I hope that's true because it's cool. Like it adds a whole new layer of playability to these games. And I really think like some of these big Xbox games would like really benefit from that. I think what it comes down to, right, with these things that can be viewed on the surface as a gimmick, right? Because, like, at the end of the day, like, Rumble could be viewed on the surface as a gimmick. And what it comes down to is, like, just, yeah, like, how much of an impact does it have on the experience of a game? Do players enjoy it? How much does it cost to produce? But if something is a good idea traditionally it gets copied by everybody yeah right nintendo came out with rumble first everybody had rumble right uh sony kind of figured out dual analog everyone has dual analog so at the end of the day if you make an advancement in controller tech that makes sense and does enhance the game experience and doesn't cost a bajillion fucking dollars to manufacture etc then yeah i think everybody will copy you i think eventually nintendo and xbox and everybody will have some kind of haptic feedback right yeah as as long as it's reasonable to produce it and as long as all of the developers and shit are being like yeah this is sick like it's not too hard to program Mm -hmm. for players really like it you know as long as all those factors are there for sure now one thing i will say is that the rumble on the series s and the series x is definitely improved from the rumble on the xbox one yeah so i do definitely notice a difference i do think that although you definitely can't say it's haptic feedback i'm not going to claim that the triggers are active in any way it it is more like there's more varying degrees of subtlety with Mm. it is what i notice right there's a lot more like mild vibrations at times and then heavier vibrations at times and just the way the rumble works is definitely more more vivid more integrated into what's happening on the screen than xbox has done with prior rumbles and so i that's something i covered a little bit in my first kind of video talking about the series x and my initial impressions yeah right i can't really remember because i only had my one s for a hot minute like i played overwatch and got dunked on some by kids and i was like fuck this thing and then i just like gave it away to a friend but i will say this as someone who constantly drinks pony juice on the daily is that i'll full out admit being able to blow on your controller that's dumb (laughs) like that's stupid nobody needs that in their controllers you don't need to include that but the haptic feedback especially with like the different level of sensitivity in the triggers so there's actually resistance in the trigger so you could do a half press and a full press and they do different things in the game that's fucking cool and especially when you're pulling triggers it just like it's mind-blowing i'm really interested to try out but i'm not interested to pay for it the xbox elite controller and see just like yes. how much better that is do i 280 dollar want to try it out not really but hey if anyone wants to give us one on the update required <clears throat> podcast hit us up in the, in the comments uh and jay retro and i will for sure try it out I think that it, it to me it looked like it made made a bigger difference before this revision, like before they came out with the Series X Series S controller, right? Yeah. Because like 
this is definitely improved from the Xbox One controller in a number number of ways. One thing I noticed for sure is the D-pad they went with. Like the the uh, Pro controller has swappable D-pads, but everybody just puts this D-pad on, right? Everybody uses this D-pad. Now on the Xbox One, it's more of a traditional just left, right, up, down, four directional D-pad. Yeah. And on this one, you have this kind of it's similar to almost the Sega Genesis controller where it's more of a disc, right? Yeah. So it's better better for fighting games and stuff like that for sure. Now this is the one that you see like every photo of somebody who owns the Pro controller, they put this D-pad on, right? Yeah. Out of the like three or four it gives you, this just became the one to use. So Xbox, you know, looked at that and was like, oh, everybody that buys our 250 dollars controller only uses this d-pad clearly this is the best best d-pad we ever designed yeah right? so i think there's some things about this one that are are more similar in that regard it definitely has a little more weight to it i feel than the xbox one controller it's uh really slight, yes slightly more weight um, i bet you and- that's the vibe motors because when i took mine apart like the vibe motors are huge in this controller they're like they take up this whole yep. section here which, like I said, it has those different degrees of subtlety. And they did talk about that, that they were like, hey, we're not saying we did what Sony did, but we definitely changed the rumble tech in the controller. And it is new rumble tech. Yeah. Um, I noticed you have a slight incline. So the Xbox One controller flares out a little bit more here on the sides, whereas this one comes in a little bit more, which is better for gamers with smaller hands because mm. it was always said that the Xbox controller was better for people like me with big mammoth man hands and that it wasn't as good for, let's say, like your girlfriend or like a small Asian male, etc., who might have smaller hands so this is meant to suit more different types of gamers because of that and then the textures on the back i find really satisfying like they definitely added this kind of texture grip to the the back of both of the the actual handheld oh yeah which I feel is that. not there that was all flat right um and as well there's a bit more texture so one thing i like on the shoulder buttons on the xbox controllers you'll you'll notice there's this little divot on the bottom of them which kind of makes it easy to like come up from the trigger and press that bottom part which will still fully click the button in right so instead of pressing on the top of the button you're kind of coming at it from down here and pressing upwards um and what they did is they textured that bit which was not textured before on the one controller that's great in a shooter game in particular right so if you're shooting with this trigger yeah, and you're that. trying to toss a grenade quickly you can kind of do that motion where you're like choo 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 bam and you're kind of coming up towards the button whereas uh you know on playstation you're kind of making a fuller finger motion of like releasing <laughs> moving up to the fuller top finger button. motion that's what she said uh, you could argue like right like you could argue every millisecond counts this just makes it that little bit easier to go from your you know l2 to, to uh, l1 or your you know lt to lb depending on which lingo you're using so those were some differences i noticed with this controller once again i definitely would not claim that they went nearly as far as sony did with revamping it but i think this controller especially at like first glance it's easy to look at it and be like oh it's just the xbox one controller again they didn't fucking change anything but i think if you actually used the xbox one controller for a while uh, as soon as you even hold this one in your hands, you're like, oh, this is different, right? And to me, my initial reaction was like, the moment I put my hands on it, I was like, oh, I like this better. 
this fits more comfortably. Yeah, like even before, because I had never, like, I had the Xbox One S for like a hot minute, and then before I even got my Series S, like when they announced the Xbox Series X and Series S, I looked at the controller and I was like, oh yeah, like I could tell they made changes. I could just tell it was more of a refinement and more of like maybe some technical upgrades, and they didn't just because. Again, I feel like a lot of people prefer Xbox because they just prefer this controller. They just prefer how it feels. And if you mess with that, you're going to piss off a huge chunk of your owner base. So I think they were just like, okay, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But just make some little things better with the things that we learn from people who have purchased our elite controller versus the people that just buy the regular controller and what our users saying that they like about it. So that 100% makes sense. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think they're like they're like the iPhone of video game controllers, right? Like they just kind of barely tweak it each time they release it. They refine it a little bit. Uh, but they don't make a lot of massive overhauls because people already like it, right? Yo, so, Sony didn't do that for the first three PlayStations, like PS1, PS2, PS3. Yeah. Like those controllers were basically the same, except They're for like some... identical. Yeah, exactly. Like, you you could criticize those ones way more for being exactly the same. Like the Whereas original the DualShock for PS1, yeah, it, like that's the same shit. Like PS2, yeah. what did they even add? I don't even think they added. It anything. was called the Dual. It was called the DualShock Two, and it was literally not different in any way. Yeah, and then the first set of PS3 controllers, those were trash because they didn't even have Rumble. They had the Axis, six the, Axis, and yeah, they, and they claimed that they were like, we can't put the Axis and the Rumble in there, and then everybody bitched that they didn't have Rumble, and then they came out with the controller like three months later that had both the Axis and the Rumble. In yeah, there. shocking, right? Oh, it is possible. We just didn't want it. It was just moolah. We just hoped you'd like this new. I thing. yeah, and then I remember like getting my PS4, and I was like, "This controller is weird." And then I grew to love it. And then going from that to the PS5 controller, yeah. I was like, "This is different," but I I like this more. It's funny, like to me, the DualShock, like as a guy who'd always been an Xbox guy, I remember putting my hands on the DualShock. Well, like I'd own the PlayStation, the PS2, so that's not really a fair thing to say. But as a guy that had always I don't know. Like, I remember you had you rocked the 360 Xbox for so long. Or, like you like oh, you yeah. were definitely like an Xbox dude. Oh yeah. During that generation, absolutely. I never owned a PS3. I still haven't. It's one of the only also that I never owned. Jay Retro and I used to live together and we had another roommate and like he had the PS3. Jay Retro had the 360 and then like I think I I wasn't into games at the time. Yeah. I was kind of out, but I still had my PS2 kicking around, so I just like would plug that in. So and like, I had a laptop game on as well, right? You had so a gaming kinda, PC. Yeah, we had different we had different platforms in the household. That's another thing for sure that made me be like, why would I go spend the money on a PS3? Like Bryn has a PS3, and I yeah. have a 360, and so we just have our bases covered, right? Yeah, so for sure. Yeah, I think it was it I was agree. just it was just uh, fiscally responsible. <laughs> <laughs> i think how adult how adult let's get into some news yeah i news before we get into the news story. i do want to say i'm gonna make you happy here i i got a load of games that just arrived so i got this one is one that everyone's been telling me to play for years the neo collection for ps5 Ooh, all right so that has neo one and neo two you're gonna be happy about this i finally picked up the Final Ooh. Fantasy VII Remake Integrate for PS5. I didn't right. download it for free on the PS on PlayStation Plus 
because I was boycotting the game because I was like, I want to play it when it's complete. And then people are like, hey, dumb, dumb, it's different. Like, it is complete. Just play the game. And I was like, oh, I'm, d- I'm dumb. Okay. I'm going to go pay. It's a full game. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go pay I, money like, for this now. <laughs> I felt that way at first, too, where I was like, why didn't they just make it all one game? It's all one game. And then, like, as soon as I started playing, I was like, no, that's not fair. They add so much, right? Yeah. So it's not like they're just giving you the first third of the story. They're fleshing out that first third of the story. Yeah. Right? It really justified. And we all know that I got this to play, and I got a ton there of games go. on Game Pass that I'm gonna be playing. So you'll be Beautiful. happy for me. But uh I let's, am let's Proudy. get into some of this news here. Proudy. So first yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh first topic here. Uh Days Gone director says Sean Layden's departure killed chances for sequels. So for those of you who don't know, Sean Layden used to be the president of Sony uh, America. And he was the original one that they pitched Days Gone to, and he was the one that kind of greenlit that project. It wouldn't have been made without him. And then he left, and we have the new PlayStation president. Uh, what's his name? Oh, I'm so bad as a Sony pony. I think it's like Ryan something. I don't know. Anyway, the new guy uh, was kind of like, uh, we're, we're good. We don't want a sequel. So they greenlit other projects. Yes. So they have a new IP that they're working on, but... The reason why this whole story came up is because recently uh, Sucker Punch for Ghost of Tsushima, which I just showed you that I have now, uh, sold 8 million copies, which is a huge feat. And then other people were like, hey, Days Gone sold more than that, and they're not getting a sequel. What the hell? Um, but what were your thoughts when you read this topic? Um, You know, I'm about six hours into Days Gone. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's one of the Sony exclusives I'm still playing through on my PS4 Pro Mm -hmm. along uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake for sure. Um, You know, Days Gone, it's all right. It's not it's not a bad game. I think, you know, we touched on this a little bit before we went live and and we were talking a bit about it. But, yeah, I think the main thing that it comes down to is just that zombie games in general are a really oversaturated market these days. Yeah. Um, You know, movies, comics, like everything. And I say that as a massive zombie guy. I was a big fan of the Romero movies growing up, but you kind of just had the Romero movies back then. There wasn't a lot of other good zombie media. You had Evil Dead that was a little different. They were possession zombies. You had Return of the Living Dead, which was like fun, but it was also kind of fucking stupid. The so second one is just campy and terrible. Like it's like, but it's the it, first that's one why is people and terrible. I think They're they both yeah. and terrible. Yeah, but like that was the appeal, but like it still was like it was trash but people oh, yeah kind of like it's the same funny. way the room is trash but it's funny to watch yeah i don't know like people people liked it man i think that there just wasn't a lot of serious and good zombie media and so over time you know the walking dead got huge i was a huge walking dead guy i same. collected the, co- the comic books heavily before it ever got turned into a tv series right? i remember so that I, I loved the walking dead as a graphic novel uh, but yeah, I just think it kicked off this resurgence of zombie media, this explosion of new zombie media, and we're still dealing with the fallout of that. And to me, unless like you're the pinnacle of zombie experiences, it's just hard to loop me in. 
in with zombies anymore, right? Like, yeah. It's more of a hook to it than that. I tap out on Call of Duty zombies every year now because I'm sort of just like, yeah, I've done this. Um, Back for Blood sucked me in because Left for Dead is a game that meant a lot to me. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, it's the Left for Dead formula. They nailed it. I waited 12 years for a sequel for this game and it's the original people and it's so goddamn good. That's different because it's not like I'm just there being like, yay, it's a zombie game. Yeah, Maybe that's was... how you could, you know, sell me the first Left 4 Dead. Totally. Because I wasn't drowning in zombies at the time. So you just had to be like, Jay, it's a game where you run around co-op with your buddies and kill zombies. But now if you tell me it's a game where you run around and kill zombies co-op, I'll just be like, there sure are a lot of those. Now. Yeah. Like, imagine if you didn't have that nostalgia yeah. for Left 4 Dead and then uh, Back for Blood comes out. Like you just said, you'd be like, hey, there's a lot of games like that already. Like, I have World War Z, every yeah. Call of Duty that comes out. You know, you like you would just be killing floor. You're just sort of like, yeah, I've done this. Um, it only works in Back for Blood exactly because they're plying off my nostalgia and my love for that original franchise. Totally makes Days sense. Days Gone is not a bad experience. There's aspects of it that are really cool. I do think it's cool how many zombies they pulled off animating on the screen at one time. It was mm. one of the really big pushes for that game when it first came out. And I do think they did that well. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think like, and I'll be it. I'm only about six hours in, but you've, you've played a little bit of days gone, right? If you'd call it that. So I play, okay. So I like think back to when that game launched. Um, if I recall, uh, I feel like that game caught a lot of hard flack because it launched like with quite a few bugs and it was hard for that game to like recover over that. I've had right. lots of friends who played it and were like, I love this game. It's great. I platinum it. But I think the, like the mainstream audience was like, Oh, that game's buggy. And then kind of dismissed it. But I think it like, it found its following later on and it, like sold however many copies. So when sure. I played it, I again, it's not the type of game that I enjoy. And I was just like going through the motions of it. And like, it was like the opening cutscene where his like girlfriend gets in the helicopter. And I was just like, I hope the fucking helicopter crashes. Like, I don't give a shit about any of these characters. Let me get on my motorcycle and start doing shit. Um, but I kind of feel where you're coming from. And I feel like the, like the PlayStation CEO, this is going to bug me. I got to find his name, but, um, he was like, just kind of like, I think the whole zombie thing has had its day. It's come and gone. Like, I would argue even like, probably like even back in 2016, like that shit was starting to get played out. And it wasn't unless like you, like exactly like you just said, unless you were like the pinnacle of those franchises that came out during that time, it was kind of, it was overdone. Like it wasn't unless it was like a specific walking dead like season premiere or season finale that it would be like worth jim ryan that's his name uh <laughs> i didn't even have to look what, it up. what a like name generator white guy name eh? yeah <laughs> but like i love how my brain works like i just like need like i'll just ramble and then like it'll be like mm, here's the data that you're missing earlier uh but yeah like i like I quit watching the walking dead after like, I don't know what season I was like, okay. Like I, I can't do this anymore where they just like all these filler episodes. And then like, it's only like the season premiere, the season finale, and then the mid season finale. That's like worth watching. Um, 
but I kind of feel like it was just like, hey, we're happy Days Gone did well. Um, we're going to green light another project. How about something new? Uh, we're kind of over the zombie thing. And I'm yeah. I think that was a good call on their part. Like it, it's funny, like I originally brought it up and asked you whether you had played a bit of it, because I was I the point I was trying to touch on was actually something you said word for word, which is that I was like within about a, a half hour, an hour of playing that game. I was like, I don't fucking care about any of these characters. Yeah, like the the plot line today's gone is it's it's just like watching a shitty trauma films B movie remake of Day of the Dead, right? Where you're just like, oh, this is just literally every zombie movie I've ever watched done worse. Thank you. Right. So that's how we feel about most games. The gameplay is good. Like the gameplay in Days Gone is good. It's enjoyable gameplay. But it's just wrapped around a skeleton that is so bare bones. It was like they came up with cool gameplay ideas and they were like, we have a game. We want to make it with zombies. Here's how we're going to make it different and unique. Here's going to be open ideas. world. Yeah, super cool. There's going to be a shit ton of zombies on the screen at one time. And that'll be yeah. what really makes it stand out is that you're fighting this just fucking sea of zombies. And there'll be quick time events. And da, 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 da. People were like, that's cool. Uh, what's the plot? And they were like, you know, zombies. <laughs> that was kind of as far as they got. And then they were, we'll make him a biker because people like bikers. Sons of Anarchy is really popular right now. Like, uh, it just all seems very forced. Yeah, like that. And like I was saying, like, that's how I feel about most of these games that have like these fucking overdone cinematics or like they have these overdone cutscene parts. And it's like, you don't need that. All you could have done, like, you literally just could have been, like, have the biker gang roll into a town where the zombie uh, outbreak starts. And then it's just like, what's going on? And then you just, like, you pick up from there. And you're like, cool, zombies. I get this. I know what's happening. Let's go. You don't need, like, these deeper story tropes that just never turn out as good. And, like, exactly what you just said. You're just like, oh, hey, I really wish I was watching The Walking Dead right now because this has way better that has way better dialogue than this piece of shit that I'm watching. Like, just get to the awesome game. Get to the part you do well, the good gameplay. Do that part. Let's get to that. That's something I respected about Left 4 Dead and even Back 4 Blood. Like, Back 4 Blood has cinematics and Left 4 Dead did too. But they're at, like, the beginning of a mission or the end of a mission. Yeah. And the middle of it, it's you know like and and they're never long and they're sort of just enough to push forward the story yeah because they they are a game that is is sort of just like fully acknowledging that their plot is a shitty b zombie movie yeah and they have no fear of that and so they're like no we don't need to spend 25 minutes making you care about these people that doesn't matter what matters is that you're going to run from point A to point B and shoot zombies, and it's going to be super fucking fun. And ironically, they made me care about their characters more because what Valve and like the original Left 4 Dead games did really well, and I think Back 4 Blood tries to do this, it doesn't quite pull it off to exactly the same extent, yeah. was just that you would learn about the characters just from the little bits of voice dialogue that would play throughout the actual gameplay, right? So they yeah, would set these little cool. whips. Right. They had these little quips. The zombie would come bite them. They would say something and you'd be like, ah, that's such a Lewis thing to say. Yeah. Oh, Lewis. Right. And so they made me care about the characters just from getting to know them during the game. 
and we never had to labor that point right so but i think the main thing there is just that they were completely unashamed of the fact that it wasn't a storyline heavy experience mm. and they were like that's not what you're fucking here for right and so i think i just wish more games could do that could be like not every game needs to be the godfather and like sometimes the plot should really just be that it's like you said man like sometimes it's like hey you're a viking and these guys are here kill them or like hey you're a space marine and there's aliens go shoot them yeah halo i thought has always done a good job of doing that where the storyline's interesting to me uh it's a space opera but it's it's never more than a space opera and it doesn't try to be anything deeper than it has to be usually it's just there's a lot of aliens i felt like it was getting a bit much in halo infinite but again that game is so fucking mega huge that like if they just made it like a slim really trim storyline like the ones that i'd like people would be fucking mad like they'd be like like what the shit this is halo like halo is like the super bowl of gaming like it should be huge so like i understand it and i'm just like you know what this is a big franchise um people expect this and you're you're always trying to take it to the next level with a franchise like that right like when you look at the storyline for halo one it is very slim and trim it's the first one you you wake up in a pod and they're like you're a super soldier does your suit work okay uh our ship's being fucked with there's some aliens here and you're like okay i'm gonna go fight them and then the game kind of just goes from there yeah you just kind of keep running forward and fighting aliens until the end of the game you know like that's really about it um so i i think the first halo did that and then from halo 2 on though it became sort of they were like okay we're gonna really start building some background lore to the universe we're gonna go the star wars aspect where everything has that backstory to it right there's halo novels there's gonna be a halo live action (laughs) series now right (laughs) i'm I'm excited for the tv well you know what i yeah i can't say that because again if Jay was saying all the same things, but instead of Halo, he just changed that word to Bloodborne, I would just be like, yes, yes, yes. So I yeah, get Yeah, like it. as if you wouldn't read Bloodborne novels and watch a Bloodborne show on Amazon there's a, Prime. There's a Bloodborne right? comic book series that I have, and go. I have the Bloodborne board game, which I've never opened. But um, what I do want to say, though, is I get it for all of the fans of Days Gone, who is like, this game that meant a lot to me is not getting a sequel and that sucks. Is it yeah. because people didn't buy the game at launch? Who knows? But what I would say though is if you really like a game, support that developer. So whatever IP that they come out with next, you should definitely buy day one. You should pre-order that shit if uh if it if it meant that much to you, because that's how they get sequels for games. Um but yeah, like you could be bummed out like i'm bummed out there's probably never going to be a bloodborne 2 but have i accepted that yeah and every new game that from software comes out with i'm gonna buy because i love their games but i definitely see it from jim ryan's perspective the whole zombie thing we're we're good i think we're good without it for a while and i think that's good for anything moderation and then just let it let it kind of sit for a bit and then when we rediscover it then it'll have a bigger impact 100%. 100%. That's why that Dawn of the Dead remake in 2004 slapped so hard. And that's why it got the reaction that it got, right? Because like there was nothing mo- f- zombie like that since, like, the 90s, right? 
it was that and 28 days later right and i think yeah. that dawn the dawn of the dead remake capitalized on the success of 28 days later to a bit which is i think why they went with fast zombies um but definitely those two films were the first time since like the night of the living dead remake in 1990 it had yeah. been like 14 goddamn years since we'd had a decent or like movie. army of darkness which was like 1990 which once again i'm like you can make the argument that those aren't zombies anyway right? yeah that they're, that too yeah they kind of aren't i don't think they they're, are they're deadites right they're yeah. demonic possession so they talk and they could use weapons there's a lot of things about them that aren't really like a traditional zombie right? i i agree with that i agree that that's not a zombie movie to um, me to me dead eights are more psychological horror because they do fucked up shit right like they talk to you and they're like i love you ash and it's your dead girlfriend's corpse and they're like they're trying to get in your head right? well yeah Whereas, especially like, in army of darkness because there's like skeletons and like goofy shit yeah. like that so like i i agree I agree. That's not yeah. a zombie. All all sorts of shit. They're not technically zombies. It's a similar, <laughs> similar. It has horror been confirmed genre. on the update required podcast that the right. deadites are not zombies. Uh, put it down in the in the books, everybody. That's uh, what you heard it here first. Let's let's move on to this next subject here. This is one that I will have a lot of talk about, but I'm interested because this is an old franchise. So Armored Core Six allegedly mm. leaked via survey set in a sci-fi it's beck warrior why wouldn't it be how would it not be sci-fi world created yeah. by hitataka miyazaki himself question for you j retro did you ever play the armored core games on like ps2 i had the second I, one and that I was played it the first armored core on ps1 yeah and i played it pretty heavily and it's what you were literally just fighting in these like fucking warehouses yeah it was just, it was just mechs and warehouses fighting each other it was so weird I loved it as a kid on PS1. Um, and mech games used to be a big deal. They totally were. That's... Mech Warrior was big on PC for years. There yeah. was all these Mech Warrior games that did great. The Armored Core series was doing great. And I'm gapping out on a bunch of the others, but there was many other games of that ilk at the time in the 90s. I just and remember I, I had really gotten into Gundam Wing, <clears throat> and there were like, I couldn't, I didn't have access to Japanese imports. So like that was the closest thing that I could get to Gundam wing. And I was like, this is cool. Like being a teen, like a teenager. hundred percent. And it's funny to me because somewhere around the PS2 era. Yeah. I just sort of realized that I don't give a fuck about mech games. And it's like, I was just playing them because they were a popularized fad at the time. Mm -hmm. And they, and they were just a style of game. And like, I don't know, I'm a kid. It's easier to sell me on giant robots. I like the power Rangers. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, fuck, oh, cool. It's like a Megazord. Neat. I just roll around this robot. As I got older, I don't know what it was about them. And it's not like I think mech games are bad or that other people shouldn't play them. I just came to the conclusion that I was like, this isn't a genre I actually care about. I would rather be a dude fighting dudes or like the Master <laughs> Chief fighting aliens than be a giant robot fighting another giant robot. I don't know. Yeah, just, I think the mech game, that's a really good point that you bring up because I think the mech games were a circumstance of technical limitations of the time. So like shooters had not gotten to that pinnacle level until the first Halo and 
Like, like people still wanted, like, it was like the arcade version of like those old tank games that were on like regular Nintendo or Super Nintendo, right? People still wanted that kind of equivalent. And then how do you make it cooler? You make it a mech warrior, um, which is just a big tank that you can move around and like, kind of like, as if you are a human character. But then tank I, wars on the Atari twenty six hundred, right? Exactly. That's all it is. Yeah. So I think like what you're what you're describing is that time where like the the shooter games and like third person kind of adventure games were getting to that level where they were great and they were getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. And then people would see a mech game and they're just like, I don't have to play this anymore. <laughs> they're just like, there's other yes. there's other cool things. So people who don't know. From software, the people who make Dark Souls, they made Armored Core. And that used to be their fucking bread and butter for the longest time. For, like, all of the 2000s, up until, like, late 2008. Um, And then they put out that random game, Demon Souls, in 2009. And it flopped at the time. That was, like, the first Souls game. And it flopped. So a lot of people don't like to admit that. It, like, did not do well. And... Um, one of the main directors at Sony was like, this is a shitty game. And like, he was like on record saying it. And it's funny that he's like pushing the remake out. Now he's like, oh, it's a beloved memory. And it's like, you called it a piece of shit when it came out in 2009. Um, and then Dark Souls came out in 2011. And then that was mega huge. But From Software still put out a random, I think it was Armored Core 5 in like 2013 or something. But like by then people were kind of really done with um with like met games so this is a cool thing because they're kind of going back to their roots but they have hidetaka miyazaki who's an amazing game director i love what he did uh with all the games that they've released after having him on board i'm interested to see what they do with it i'm interested to see like how they modernize it and like with his style of storytelling i think it'll be cool and I don't know. I think you could vouch for this too. Like when you've made essentially the same type of game for a decade, you're going to get sick of that shit. Like you're going to be like, you're going to be like, can we do something else? Like, like if you eat at McDonald's every day, I'm sure you might like it for a bit. And then after a while, you're going to be like, bro, can we get a burrito up in this bitch? Like, can we get something else? Can we get some sushi? Like anything. Little, little Chinese. Yeah. Anything, like dog, really. give me a fruit cup. Anything. I'm just like something else. So I think this is really cool. Uh, what are your thoughts on a mech warrior game in 2022? Yeah. I mean, I'm interested to see what they do with it. Like you said, as far as modernizing it, how do you make that game in 2020 versus what I played on PS one? And yeah, two, right. I, I'm very interested to see that. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but it's, it's definitely something where, like I said, what they're up against for me is just that wall of being like, I'm not a six year old that's obsessed with giant robots anymore. Yeah. Uh, so you really do need to sell me on the gameplay, right? And yeah. You have to show me that mech gameplay could be addicting and interesting. in What have you done to, yeah. Like, it's like when you make a fourth matrix movie and it's like, did you do anything different or better than the first one? Should you have made a fourth? Yeah. And then it's like, I don't think you should have. 
think you should have just let that bitch rest. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the main consensus I'm hearing about that one, too. I'm, I'm almost scared to go see it in theaters. I don't want to seems... tarnish uh, your <clears throat> opinion on it. I doubt I would anyway, but watch it. And then we should talk about that on like another podcast. But what's funny I about agree. this rumor. So like for those of you who don't know, it was a consumer survey. And so is this this packet that someone got a hold of? And it's basically them just asking, like, what would you think of a mech? Basically, the questions that we're asking right now. What would you think of a mech warrior game in 2020, in 2022? Mm. What if you if you how about if you knew it was made by the same person who made Dark Souls? And then with their creative writing and they made this new sci fi universe. What are your thoughts on that? And then they gave like they showed like some little pictures and stuff. Um What's funny about this is this rumor is hella old. So fun fact, back in 2018, when we got the first teaser trailer for Sekiro. So Sekiro is uh, like a Shinobi Ninja game from software put out with Activision in 2019. So the first teaser trailer that came out for it in 2018 was this 30 second, like super short trailer. And it was just a cinematic and it looked like this, like, gnarled up, bloody bone being, like, tightened with rope. And people were like, oh, that's Bloodborne 2. Like, including mm. me. I was like, oh, shit, that's Bloodborne 2. Yep. And then people were like, no, it's going to be Kuwan. Like, all these random old From Software games. And it turned out to be Sekiro. But the point that I'm getting to is back in 2018 when we got that trailer, someone leaked From Software's roadmap of games. And they were like, okay, they're working on three games right now. One of them is a Souls-like open-world RPG uh, that'll be very familiar to fans, which ended up being Elden Ring. The next game is a very big departure, one-off, experimental VR game, which ended up being Deracine. And then the next game was a revival of an old franchise. And then everyone's like, that's Armored Core. They gotta be talking about Armored Core. And then, like, a year later, uh, there was, like, an HD remaster of one of the Armored Core games. I think it's, like, something Wolf or, like, I can't even remember. It, the... it ended up being a fake out, right? Like, people were probably like, oh, that was it. Exactly. It we all, like, including yeah. me, I was just like, oh, that's the, that's what they were working on. It's just an HD remaster that they just re-released. Wrong. Wrong. It turns out they were working on that shit this entire time. And I feel like with this survey that's being released, the game is like probably almost done or like very like late in the production. Like it's like it's like pretty close to being complete. And that just blows my mind because So at this at this point I proposition you a question. Yeah. Which is does that therefore imply a Demon Soul sequel in the work? It could. Because they mastered a game and then they they came out with a new one, right? So are we going to see a repeat where they remaster the original and use that as a way to generate interest in a new Demon Soul? Yeah, that's a really good point because it's known that From Software has different teams. So when they wrapped on Bloodborne's DLC in 2015, that team went on to work on Sekiro. And then the team that was working on Dark Souls 3, when that second DLC wrapped in 2017, they moved on to Elden Ring. So when Sekiro finished in 2019, what was that team working on? So were they were they the ones working on Armored Core? Or are they the ones working on 
a sequel for a Sony franchise that Sony owns. So Sony owns right. the IP for Demon Souls and for Bloodborne. So From Software doesn't own them, even though they made them. So it's it's Sony's word if they get made. But I think ones. definitely when you look at the fact that Sony trusted having a remake of Demon Souls as being a launch title for their PS5 as a primary seller of their console. Yeah. Um, and the fact that those two companies are clearly, you know, working closely alongside each other. I could definitely see Sony themselves being like, hey, Demon Souls remake sold really well. People really liked it. We want more. Yeah, make another one. Make something else. I think we own the IP. We got the money. Here you go. It's cool that you bring that up because so in the past for both Demon Souls and Bloodborne, From Software had to partner with Japan Studio, which is a Sony-owned studio. So that's who they partnered with for those releases because it was under the Sony umbrella. Japan Studio got disassembled. Like they're just they like they're no longer. And Blue Point was the company that did the remake for Demon Souls. I feel yes. like Blue Point is the new Japan studio. So they're the studio that uh, publishers partner with when they make a game under the Sony umbrella for Sony IPs. So I think, like you just said, this is, and this is all bullshit. This is, I'm drawing this from nowhere. These are just thoughts, okay? I have no insider <laughs> info on this. We're brainstorming. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that since the Demon Souls remake did so well and Blue Point did such a good job, I think Sony is going to be like, we're going to partner you with From Software and you're making us a Demon Souls 2 or you're making us a fucking Bloodborne 2. Like you're you're do- like that's where I think that partnership's going to be because there's yep. been lots of rumors in the rumor mill lately like Blue Point's going to be making Bloodborne 2 or they're working on a Bloodborne remaster. Um I don't think that's going to happen. I feel like they might be making a remaster for Bloodborne to be like 60 FPS to be on PC that everyone's been begging for. And I think From Software and Bluepoint are going to partner together to make the Bloodborne sequel or to make a Demon's Soul sequel. And then that's what they're going to be working on. But I don't know. I I think all this Armored Core 6 is cool. Um, I'm more, I'm a, I'm a from software fanboy, so I'm definitely going to buy it and then try it out. And Hey, it might end up being like Sekiro and be like a game that I finish and then I never play it again. Um, but I'm still going to give it a chance. Uh, let's go on to this next topic here. This one's wild. And I was like, what year is it? When I read this, a twisted metal TV series is in development. Sony confirms, um, what (laughs) i just don't understand like maybe if this was like 1999 like that would be like so dope bro if it was 1999 i still would have been like why twisted metal like of, of all games that you just don't think of as like a cinematic experience like is it just me i don't know how they're gonna do this you drive around in cars and shoot rockets at each other. Like, I just, I don't understand what about that Screams TV series. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. Tyler, like, I think you missed the mark on this. Is Killed it, it be like- with the run and, and crouch uh, mechanic, slam dunk. Twisted Metal TV series, that was a miss for me, Tyler. <laughs> He's like, you know what I think people really want is 10 hours of backstory to that psycho clown in the ice cream truck. Yeah. They, they just they really need to know 
what drove him to drive around and shoot rockets out of his ice cream. They're going to hire Christopher Nolan to come in and fucking <laughs> just like make this insane backstory. <laughs> we're going to be like, what? Are we talking about the same thing here? Is this twisted metal? I'm just waiting for the shot of the first time he sees the out, uh, the ice cream truck and it really slowly zooms in on his face and you hear the fucking Hans Zimmer soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ice cream truck. He's like, my destiny. I just, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. Like Halo TV series, yeah. Like you play Halo and you're like, yeah, this is like Star Wars or Star Trek, but I'm playing it. I get a TV series made out of that, right? Yeah. Witcher TV series. Yeah. It was based on a series of books. It's a big fantasy world. It works. It's like Lord of the Rings, right? Um, but Twisted Metal, man. I don't That's get like, it. If, this is literally like if you were if you were like guys, we have an Amazon Prime exclusive coming next summer, eight episodes, one hours long, 4K, 60 frames per second. Get ready for the story of Diddy Kong Racing. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? No one asked for a show out of this. I don't I don't understand. And also, like, I feel like there's a lot like Man, what's going on in Hollywood these days where they're really scraping out of the bottom of the barrel and they're hitting up all these, they're trying to make a resurgence of all these franchises that are just so old now that it's, you've missed it. You missed the boat. Like whenever the fuck Avatar 2 is coming out, like I'm just like, dude, it's too late. Like, it's like, I feel like that was too long ago. Like no one's going to give a shit. Avatar might work because their whole argument was that they wanted to wait long enough that it would be as big of a technical leap, right? So the first time you went and saw Avatar in theaters, to be fair, it was the first movie that had ever been filmed with 3D cameras, right? It was, it so was literally seen, insane. We've, yeah. we've all seen, ninety to even today, 99% of everything you watch that is 3D was not filmed in 3D, yeah. right? It was post-processed into 3D. Yeah. So this was an entirely new way of filming things. It's like when they made the first Matrix movie and they invented the concept of bullet time. Yeah. Right? So if you can show me something with Avatar 2 where I go in there and I walk out of the theaters having that same experience where I'm like, that is just new shit. Like, that's yeah. like movies being in color for the first time. Absolutely. Because you know? that's what Avatar was. It was like colorizing movies or when they added sound to movies. That was like how big of a leap forward it felt like in technology, right? It was so nutty, yeah. I remember watching. I 100% agree for 90% of, of shows, though, right? Yeah. That they're there. And it was 2002 that we were already making the joke about, like, why is everything a sequel or a remake? And totally. why can't Hollywood make up some fucking news stories to tell me? And it's because no one goes to see them. 20 years. Yeah, it's because yeah. no one goes to see them. Like, great new stories come out and no one goes to see them but people will go see fucking ghostbusters afterlife or like they'll go see i don't like a ton of those movies and like i don't like it's just it's just brutal and it's just it's like the hobbit movies like it was just terrible i, I re-watched the first two hobbit movies just about a week or two ago because i was off work for a while on vacation and uh, it, weirdly enough and i didn't notice this when i started because i probably wouldn't have started if i noticed this but prime had just the first two and not the third one 
So That's I ended funny. up being just left cliffhangered at the end of the second movie. And I was like, I don't care enough to go find the third one somewhere else. So yeah, like, I remember here. watching the um, third one and being like, what the fuck am I watching? I was like, what's you know, even going on? And I was thinking maybe that's why, because if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, the first and the second Hobbit movie have like an 85 percent audience approval. Yeah. And the third one has like 23 percent. Like the third one was just completely fucking panned by critics and fans alike. And it's been so long since I watched them that they all just kind of blend together in my mind. So I was like, yeah, I can't remember what was particularly so much worse about the third one. Um, I just always made the argument that we didn't need three fucking Hobbit movies. Like totally. it's, it's one book that is a third as long as any of the three books that make up Lord of the Rings, right? It's literally supposed to be a story that takes half as long as, as the first fucking Lord of the Rings movie, basically. And they stretched it out into three whole movies just to make more money. Yeah. It's such a, I didn't know this. I don't know if you knew this. You maybe you did. You probably did, but like, I didn't know that they initially weren't intending on having Peter Jackson direct those movies. They had someone else in mind and it fell through but they still like had a release date set and then so then they were like can we get peter jackson then they brought him in late so he didn't have nearly the same amount of time that he had to prep for the lord of the rings movies and he kind of had a hodgepodge everything and then that's kind of why like it started so rough it's very similar to the way i heard it told i think the story i heard was just mildly different which is that they did originally want Peter Jackson to do more because why the fuck wouldn't you? The yeah. first three printed money, right? Yeah. So they were like, hey, do the Hobbit. And he was sort of like, no, like, I'm good. Like, I, I wanted to do <laughs> Lord of the Rings and I'm I told good. my story. And like, I'm, I just, I, I gave you guys eight hours of Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't yeah. know what else you want from me. We're good here. And so then they were like, well, we still want to make these movies. We want to make money. So they went and found a different guy. Yeah. Uh, They got far enough into production that when the different guy dropped, there was a panic. And then they basically went to Peter and were like, what if we gave you all of the money and offered him like three or four fucking times what they offered him to make them in the first place? And he just couldn't turn it down at that point. Right. They made him an alpha. He couldn't refuse. And so he was just left being like, yeah, I guess I make three more Hobbit movies. And so I think it's a combination of factors. It's like, A, he went into them way less prepared because he got brought in late in the project, Mm -hmm. right? Even though they did try to bring him in early. Uh, But B, he never fucking wanted to make them. Wasn't his passion. Right? He went in uninspired. And he just kind of went through the motions and was like, well, I guess I'll just kind of follow a lot of the same beats as, as Lord of the Rings tried to sell them some more movies. And they had to do... Like, it's weird. Like, when they made Lord of the Rings, they had some, like, eight different scripts before they finally got down to the one that they used. And I've watched, like, I used to own the, like, the the extended editions that had, like, four discs of special features per movie. I right? bought the so digital I've, copies. 
last Ooh. Christmas, not this one that we just passed, but the one before that. And I watch I watch all three of them I, all the time. I I remember waiting for that extended edition because they were they would release the original, yeah, and then they'd release the extended months later. And they had a box set that was the three movies, but it was the three theatrical movies. And I remember a friend being like, "Jay, you're the biggest Lord of the Rings fan on the planet. Why do you not <laughs> own these movies on DVD yet?" And I was like, "Because." they're going to release a box set that will be the three extended editions yeah. eventually. And that's when I'm going to buy it. And I did. I walked in the store the first day I saw it. I was like, here's my $180. I have waited for this day. Right. Yeah. And so I, I watched them all the fucking time. And me and my buddies used to sit around, play magic cards and shit, and just put the documentaries on in the background about the making of the movies and shit. Like, yeah. we just, we, we loved it. We lived for that shit. And they talked a lot about how it took them forever because they're, it's a fucking, like, 700-page book, right? Like, it's yeah. so much stuff. Like It's like three 700-page books or some shit. It's so much stuff. And so, you know, people bitch. They're like, oh, there's no Tom Bombadil. And, you know, like they, they cut out this, they cut out that. It's like, guys, like they cut all that shit out and the hours are still four hours long each, right? Like it's like, how much can you tell on a movie, right? Yeah. Like it's not a novel. And they, so the real thing was they, they trimmed it down and they trimmed it down. And I remember Peter being like, I just remember reading through that final script that ended up being the one that we made the trilogy out of. And we like closed the final page of the script on the reading and we looked at each other across the table and we were like, that's it. Yeah, that's the heart and soul of the story of Lord of the Rings with as much of the fat trimmed as you conceivably could yeah. while still hitting every beat that we needed to hit for it to still feel like we told the same fucking story, right? And in The Hobbit, they had to go through essentially the opposite of that process. Yeah. Because now you're taking a 200-page book and you're making it three movies that are just as fucking long. Yeah. Right? So that's what really struck out to me about The Hobbit is there's a ton of shit in there where as someone who's read The Hobbit 300 fucking times, I'm just like, this isn't in The Hobbit. Yeah. Right. Radagast isn't in The Hobbit. He's never even mentioned in The Hobbit. He definitely doesn't get together with Gandalf and talk about the fact that Sauron's or Sauron is coming back, right? Like they don't ever mention Sauron is coming back because that's something you don't even think about until Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right? And when you read The Hobbit, all you're thinking about is like there's a dragon and a ring and shit. And it's never even implied that that ring that Bilbo finds is like the one ring of all eternal fucking everything. Yeah. At the time, all you know about it is that it makes him invisible. Yeah. Right? But of course, now you're going into it as a movie audience, as a prequel. So you're aware of what the ring is. And so the whole story just takes on this different context. They add all this weird shit. And the thing is that the shit they add, they were Tolkien's ideas. They're just Tolkien's ideas from like way lesser known Tolkien books. Because he yeah. also had all these weird like... He had the, the book of lost tales, right? And the book of untold tales. And then he had a book of... He had uh, the Silmarillion, which is basically like reading the Bible. It's just so fucking dry. Yeah. It's just like, and then there was these wizards, and then these wizards got born, and then there was this one <laughs> war with the dwarfs for 400 years, and King So-and-so killed off King so and then some more fucking wizards, and then there was a dragon, and then there was the Age of Dragons, and, like, it drags and it drags. 
So a lot of the ideas that they kind of just threw into The Hobbit to flesh it out, I was like, at least they're Tolkien's ideas. Yeah. And at least they are adding stuff from other Tolkien books. But to me, it was just it was just so fucking unnecessary. You could have made one three hour long Hobbit movie and it would have fucking slapped, you know, like it would have been such a good movie come out. The first Hobbit movie. I I would need to look it up. again. Was that I Um, feel like 2014. I think you're right. I want to say 2014 for the first one and then like 2017 for the second one. Um, Because I looked it up when I just. No, it was 2012. Wow, look at that. It was 2012 and the second one came out in 2013. It was recently the 20th anniversary um, or whatever of of Fellowship of the Ring. That's how I got it on sale. I got the, the extended edition trilogy on sale. So. This, made me feel I, I think I think both of our stories like make sense and I know we're all this is all stemming from a fucking twisted metal mo- or show coming out or whatever but I feel like what happens is like that was that was just like magic in a bottle like it was just like the right director the right time like mm-hmm. all of that coming all the preparation that they did and that's what made that trilogy so damn like amazing and then when you're trying to recreate that, and I bet you again, like he wasn't, he wasn't like that enthusiastic about it. And when they're just like, "Here's a big literal sack of cash," uh, you're gonna do this, and it's like, "There's no way that I can turn down hundreds of millions of dollars." <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna do this, and it's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be lazy," and then they're probably like, "It's like." If I was going to do it, I would do it this way. And then you probably got some executive that's just like, the Lord of the Rings was 10 years ago, bro. I think we know a little bit more now. Uh, So you're going to make three movies and you're all going to make them this uh, much long. And then da, 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 da. And you're just like, I already got my big sack of cash, whatever. It's your show, dog. Like, here you go. And I feel like that's straight up what happened. Like, it was just like, 100%, man. it was like, I'm just going to roll with these, with these bits. And then what, <laughs> and then just whatever, get it done, get it done. Like get her done, get your paycheck. When you made a trilogy as amazing as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like you don't have to do a goddamn thing after that. Like he did King Kong because he truly loved that movie and everyone shit on it. Yeah, that was a passion project for him. He fucking loves like old black and white King Kong, right? Did that that movie, everyone shit on it. And then he was like, fuck it. Like I'm not, I don't do a fucking thing ever again. And then he pretty much hasn't. Like he's done a few other things, but like it was probably really motivated by money. And then like recently he did uh, the Get Back documentary that's on Disney Plus right now for the Beatles really well done i don't give a shit about the beatles and i watched it and i was like now i'm like listening to beatles songs i'm like i'm I'm a beatles guy like my dad was obsessed with the beatles in the way that i was obsessed with nirvana yeah so i grew up in a household that was very saturated with the beatles we had all their records on vinyl and shit um and so i love the beatles like to me that was like the first band i loved because it was the music my parents played the most right and as a kid that's what you get into first right yeah. like so don't sit there and try to lie and be cool and be like i was always into my own music no you fucking weren't you were five once you just listened to what your parents put on all right yeah. and we so all for me that was the, the beatles <laughs> that's right we all liked the counting crows and we yeah, all probably. we all loved the macarena <clears throat> There are some, there are some Gen Zers 
right now listening to this podcast being like what the fuck yeah. is accounting crows They're like what what is going on who, but the who point was that I was macarena making... and what song did <laughs> you say? macarena isn't that a spaghetti commercial don't uh, you mean madonna <laughs> so the point that i'm making is that what like you're you're only like you're only capable of making your best work for a certain period of time. And then after that, when you get ultra mega successful, you're not nearly as passionate about anything and you and you just you're kind of just like going through the motions cuz you're just like you've already reached that level of success and there's nothing really to drive you or to like give you that burn. And that's why like a lot like again I hate to, that we do this, but we do because Jay and I are musicians and uh, we've been songwriters for a long time. Uh, w- like when bands get really big, like they're never as good as they were when they first started out. And it's because when you first started out, you're living in a van, like you're living in a crappy basement suite with five other dudes and you have no money and all you have is your instrument and your your musicianship. And that's all you have because you can't afford a new Xbox 360. Like you can't afford any of that shit. My favorite two examples of this to point to, and I think you're so, so right, right? They often talk about the sophomore curse and how your second album's really hard. For me, I honestly think traditionally it's been like a third album curse for a lot of artists. Like I find it's their first two albums where like you probably have been carrying those fucking songs around for 10 years. You've had enough material to fill 10 albums for forever while you were just playing in dive bars to fucking nobody. And you have been hungry to get these songs out to the world. And you wrote them, like you said, when you were fucking struggling, when you were working some shitty fucking day job and writing those songs in your spare time, right? And so my favorite two artists to point to for this are A, Rage Against the Machine. Mm -hmm. Because... It becomes really hard to rage against the machine once you're all fucking rich. Yeah. Right? And so we see that now with their reunion tour, where it is literally the most expensive tour on the fucking planet to attend. Yeah. So it's like $250 for a ticket in the nosebleeds to go see a band that was raging about the fact that consumerism was evil. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. sitting there being like, oh. I don't know, guys, you know, and their first two albums are very heartfelt. They're a bunch of young, broke kids living in L.A., looking around at the fakeness of all of these rich people in L.A. and being like, fuck you, we're not like you. But then they get rich and famous in L.A. from writing that music, right? So, like, where do you go from there? Then you've got my other favorite artist to point to for this, because you mentioned living in a trailer and I got to give a shout out to Mr. Marshall Mathers, Mm -hmm. because you can never equal those first two Eminem albums from when he's fucked up on drugs. Yeah. Still pining for his ex fucking wife who left him. Right. Really mad about the divorce living in a fucking trailer park, broke as fucking shit, thinking that he'll never get anywhere doing hip-hop because there had been no famous white rappers other than Vanilla Fucking Ice, basically, right? And so those songs are just coming from this place that none of his other music will ever come from. Because once you get signed by Dr. Dre and it gets confirmed that you can make millions of dollars being a white rapper, he can't just make jokes about how he's going to die poor because he's a white rapper anymore, right? Like it takes away a lot of what his material was actually about. 
yeah. which was about being disenfranchised and broke and having no money and battling his addictions and everything. And so then like, <clears throat> I don't know, then a lot of his content, both before and after rehab just becomes about battling his addictions and like, that's fine. That's relatable content to write about still for a lot of people in the world that struggle with addiction. I think that's an okay thing to write music about. But there just is something more relatable about a guy rapping about his pill problems while he lives in a trailer park and works at New Detroit Stamping than listening to a guy rap about his pill problems who hangs out with Elton John. And lives in a fucking mansion. You can't. You, know? you, can, you can't be that hungry when you when you literally have millions of dollars in the bank. Like, yeah, this is 100%. gonna cook your biscuits a little bit. But like, my <laughs> example that I like to use is Metallica, and it's just like Metallica that were so good for their first few albums. <clears throat> like, yep. because that's all they had was the music. Is because they didn't like they were a metal band in the eighties, and it's like they weren't glam metal, so. They were not living it up. And it's funny, like being an adult, because when I was younger, I thought they were always balling, like even in the early albums. They weren't. They weren't until like the Black album, straight up. Like even in yeah. the Injustice for All and like even Master of Puppets. Which Justice did... is the start of them making money for sure, right? Yeah. Like I would say Justice, like one, that video blew up for them. Yeah. And that was the album where they really started selling records. And then the Black album, they took it like to the yeah. stratosphere so like sure, yeah. master of puppets like is like widely regarded as like their best work that they've ever done they were all living in the house together like they like that's like the kind of baller status they had like wow we can have a house that we can all live in and it's like sweet dudes and then so yeah when you're not like touring they're like it's like what are you gonna do there's no what the fuck was they had pong back then or like they had like Maybe no, the regular the Nintendo Entertainment System wasn't out yet. Anyway, there wasn't like a lot of shit to do, so they're just like, let's jam, let's play our, yeah. let's play our, our instruments, and they were just refining their craft because like Cliff was a huge influence on them, and they just wanted to be better musicians. And then I felt like the same thing happened with Injustice. They just like they're like, well, what can we do now that like our biggest hero is gone? They're like let's fucking get as technical and proggy as we possibly fucking can. And they did that. And then the black album was just like, again, magic in a bottle where it was just like right timing, right? Everything. And then when you're like a tenfold multimillionaire, you don't have to care anymore. Like, like they all have their own mansions. They all like you, what do you do when you get that much money? You buy all these things that you want and you've always thought you wanted like you buy cars you buy art you mm. buy whatever you buy a fucking ranch or whatever kirk hammett did or all, yeah all that horror movie memorabilia and shit and that shit becomes your life and no longer refining your craft becomes your life and pretty soon the only time that you play your instrument is when you have to rehearse for shows or whatever and then I always laugh because I know it's just them promoting their newest work and they always want to promote whatever they have coming out next. And they're like, mm -hmm. we have hundreds of hours of riffs that we have even tapped into. And I'm just like, Kirk. it's always Kirk. Yeah. My phone's filled with 3000 song ideas. And I'm yeah. just like, bitch. And I'm like, you wanking on your guitar and like having the record button on doesn't count as like hours of riffs that you have. Like when any like fucking idiot with a guitar plugs into his amp and is just like, da -da -da -da, like just like 
messing around with it while you're dialing in your settings like that doesn't count as a riff like yeah. and i find like, I, I could write you a thousand riffs right now none of them would sell albums right? exactly like, they would all, they would all be very disposable throwaway riffs i agree i think a lot of the material is probably that and that's why yeah. like it takes them so long to put out new <clears throat> stuff and it's because like i like i mentioned before like i feel like you're only capable of your best work for a certain period of time and then when you get ultra mega successful so so here's my theory on that with Metallica, because I do think that they eventually I don't want to say they ever recaptured lightning in a bottle to the point of like, you know, puppets or justice. Yeah. But I do think that they've had a resurgence in terms of not only popularity and live performances, but like the quality of the songwriting on their albums over the past while. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, Death Magnetic and Hardwired to Self-Destruct are big returns to form Winnie as far Moselle as says sounding. VR NGO. I don't know what that means, but thank you. Do I? Um, but yeah, I would say that they definitely, you know, they've returned to form in a lot of ways. And I, I pay a lot of that credence to Rick Rubin. I think when it comes to that stuff, like the real question as an artist, like especially for music like Eminem's music or metal, like what Metallica writes, I think the question is, what are you angry about? Right. What machine are you raging against? What yeah. what is really pissing you off? And it's hard to be pissed off when you just own all the horror movie memorabilia and Lars owns all the fancy pieces of art and they're just sitting there drinking their fancy two thousand dollar bottles of champagne and selling art on their weekend. Yeah. It's hard to be pissed off. And I think the reason Death Magnetic turned out so good was because Rick Rubin apparently really called them on their fucking shit in the studio and was like, hey, I don't really want to make a record with you guys anymore because they actually came to him being like, we want to make this new album. And he at first told them to fuck off. And they were like, what the fuck, man? Like, we think you can kind of respark our career and you're like the producer we have the faith in. And he was like, yeah, but I don't want to fucking record an album with you guys. You don't even fucking play Harvester of Sorrow live anymore. Like, he just called them on their shit. And he was like, you don't play fucking Shortest Straw. You know, like, you don't play a lot of these songs. It's like you're scared of your own material. It's like you don't believe you can play your own shit. You're the band that fucking wrote it. Get in the studio and come to me when you can play your first four albums cover to fucking back. Every yeah. fucking song. And if you can prove to me that you can still play all that shit that was the Metallica that I was really into, then I will gladly record a new album with that Metallica. But first, go back to the fucking woodshed and bring me that Metallica. And so when <laughs> Death Magnetic came out, I remember listening to it and being like, holy fuck, they sound like Metallica again. Like yeah. for the first time in a really long time. And he managed to, yeah, capture lightning in a bottle to an extent because he got them mad. He got them mad at themselves. I can only imagine walking out of that room as Lars Ulrich with his giant fucking ego <laughs> and just being like, fucking he's fucking right huh we fucking <laughs> we don't we don't play that shit what the fuck is wrong with us huh like i can just only imagine i so think, he lit a fire and i think that's that's necessary to write that kind of music i think why that worked too i love how we're getting into music uh but like hey this is the update required podcast we talk whatever whatever we want um but i think why that worked is because when you're ultra mega famous and even when you hit any kind of success uh, in anything, like even like in my small YouTube career, when I have someone that's like, this video sucks, I'm just like, 
eh, go die. Like, I don't give a shit about you because I have a bunch of people that are just like, I like this video. So I don't care. So when you're Metallica and you're fucking huge and you could literally put out anything and everything and everyone's going to like suck your dick over it. They're going to be like, oh, this is so amazing. Oh, my God. Metallica does it again. Um, any of the people the, that are the like press loved Saint Anger when it came out, just as a quick aside. So I just want to put it out there that yeah. every review of Saint Anger when it first dropped was like, Oh my god, you've got to hear the new Metallica. It's uh, so fucking it's cool. like they've gotten back to the roots. Uh, but yeah, like like when you're used to that, and then you have the few people that are like, I think you ain't shit, like I think you haven't done shit since the black album, and then they're like, Fuck you, you hater, like. We got. Mil- I don't give a shit about what you like. A stupid kid in his stupid room says about me on some stupid internet website. But when yeah. Rick Rubin, who's like your peer, is like, "Nah, dudes, uh, I'm good." They're like, "You don't want to work with us? <laughs> like what?" And he's like, "No, I'm I'm serious. I'm gonna pass on this." And they're pro- they're probably aghast by that. They're probably just like, "Ah, uh, what?" That had to be the biggest fucking wake-up call for those guys, right? And, like, especially that they came to him idolizing his work and being like, yeah, you're, like, a, you're uh, not only lauded as a fantastic director, and, like, Rick Rubin has the biggest range. Like, he produces hip-hop, it sounds good, right? Like, he can do anything. Yeah, he did Johnny but they, Cash. Like, he did, like, he, like he's done work with Elton John. Like, he's done work yeah. with Paul McCartney. Like, it's... and If, if, if he makes your record, it's good. Yeah. Um, and but like he specifically his early career he really made his name off thrash metal right so they were also coming to him being like you're the guy that did seasons in the abyss for slayer yeah like you're the guy you know that's their best sounding fucking record and i'm a massive slayer fan you could argue all day about whether or not it's their best record songwriting wise but you can't tell me anybody made slayer sound more audible than rick rubin did yeah, yeah. it's it's catchy in a way that Slayer isn't supposed to sound because Rick Rubin can just make anything sound fucking catchy. He's a genius. Uh, and yeah, to go to, to go to him with that, have him on that pedestal and be like, yeah, uh, you know, we, we're not really too proud of St. Anger and, and kind of where our career went over the past 10 years or so. And like, we think you can put us back on the map as like an actual metal band. And he's sort of like, no, <laughs> not yeah. not till you don't suck yeah wow yeah wow and i think like that's why sometimes like what it takes is like someone to give you real true honest like feedback like instruct like someone can just say like you suck and you're just like okay yeah whatever but if someone like specifically says something and it hurts when you hear it you know it's true. Otherwise, it wouldn't hurt. If someone just said some blank insult to you, you would just be like, yeah, okay, like, whatever. Um, But when they say something and it affects you, like, that means on some level you know they're right. Yeah, you're mad at yourself. You're not mad at them. Like, like Lars Ulrich isn't mad. He thinks he's mad at Rick Rubin at first, probably. He's probably like, fucking Rick Rubin, what does he fucking know? But then, you know, when he wakes up the next morning, he's drinking his coffee and he sobers up and he remembers that Rick Rubin's a fucking musical genius. He's probably sitting there being like, fuck, he's right. We haven't played those songs live in forever. What happened to us? You know, and like, that's got to be what's burning him absolutely and i think in that it's a it's an age-old tale and it happens everywhere it happens in gaming as well like when you just when you've made 
like Halo is a good example. When you've made Halo 1, Halo 2, like these huge games, and they're just like, Halo 2 was just like, I remember it, insane. And like, you could tell me where they dropped off, but they definitely dropped off. And it was probably because there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of just like, eh, like I've got all this money now and like, let's just put out another one, print more money. And then I was they... going to say, where's the motivation to create? It's the same as the Hobbit, right? Yeah. Why are we, why are we making another Halo? Yeah. Are we making another Halo because we as video game designers are so passionate about Halo? Or are we making it because now Microsoft is knocking with the daddy Warbucks money? Yeah. Being like, Hey, this is how we sell Xboxes, bitch. Yeah, give us some, give us some more sweet Halo candy. Hey, motherfucker, we've got a new Xbox One X coming out. Make a new yeah. fucking Halo game. And... Why do you think Bungie left Halo? Right, and yeah. I was thinking like you can like you can do that in movies. You, we talked about that last week with uh, Buddy jumping from that one game studio. Right, the idea yeah. that you can sort of be like, I've done this thing for long enough. And I'm ready to go work on a different creative venture. I'm tired of making, uh, you know, stoner comedy buddy movies. I'm going to write a horror movie. I'm going to write an indie horror and I'm going to change who I'm like Jordan Peele was a fucking comedian. And then he was like, oh, I direct horror. And everybody was like, oh, you're the best horror director in the past 15 fucking years. Just yeah. keep doing that. He was allowed to pivot his career, right? And so in video games, uh, TV shows, movies, actors, directors, novelists even. It's hard to do still because you still are like breaking out of a mold that, yeah. that they have you in. But it's achievable. And it's a much more common and accepted thing. But in music... Right. Like when Metallica released that record with Lou Reed, fucking people just critically panned. It was awful for the record. Yeah, Lou, Lou. it was shit. But I mean, even if it had been good, they would have been up against a fucking wall being like, hey, we're going to release this thing that's nothing like everything we've ever released. People were mad enough at the Black album, right, for not being a straight thrash album. So what if they'd come out and being like, we want to write really experimental jazz you know like it's hard in music to pivot slayer has to just make more slayer records right like they're done now but like bands like slayer and acdc people mock them for writing the same album over and over again do you know how fucking hard an acdc album would have flopped if it didn't sound like the same record again especially you know like especially once you've set the precedent and you're eight albums in that sound the same that's why i feel like this is the best business model to follow for both gaming well not it's not the same for music i feel like copy what slipknot did make a second band call it stone sour and be whatever you want to be to the fullest and you don't have to make that like half pivot where you put out an album that has like a couple of the songs that people are used to to suck them into this new avenue that you want to take just go go full in that direction and get that out of you because you you want to do that um i feel like that's the way to go in the music business for gaming 100 i feel like take the tesla model and you make a game and it's like this insane game and uh, you make it for whatever and that funds your next game. And then you just keep doing that until you have like make all these games that you know are going to make bank. 
And then once you've done that and partner with the right people, then you have fuck you money and you can make whatever game you want. And like, that's like what from software did. So like demon souls did terribly. And then they did dark souls and that, that game did really, really well. So they made dark souls two, they made dark souls three. And it's like, yeah, we have to make these sequels because we want to fund these other cool games that we're going to make. And then, um, Activision, like everyone hates Activision. They want some of that Dark Souls pie. So they're like, hey, from software, make us a game and we'll fucking give you a ton of money. And then so they make Sekiro. And then now they are self-sufficient. They don't need to partner with anybody other than Bandai Namco, who they've been partnering with forever. And they can just make whatever game they want. That like if Sony is like, yo, make us that Demon Souls 2 or Bloodborne 2, from software can be like, we don't fucking want to. Like, we're just gonna do our own thing. And they, they can yeah. do that. And I think that's the way to do it. Like, like let the money get you to a point to where you could be self-sufficient. But then after that, don't make decisions by money. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree, right? Like, I think you look at like, like Suicide Silence. Like, if you would have made a side project new metal band, no one would have given a shit, right? But it's that you've, you've set yourself up as a deathcore band. You make a new metal record. It doesn't get received very well, right? And what they, they had to do a complete 180 about face and come out with a record after that that was like lo-fi, straight, old-school deathcore. They had to basically go back to the sound from their very first album. Yeah. Because any progression they had made now was like we have to back walk all of it we have to go back to the beginning of all of this to even seem relevant again because we've gone so far off the fucking mark of what people came to our band for in the first place um so yeah and it's and i say that as someone that likes new metal i liked corn so i don't i don't yeah, even like when hate you try to record. be the deftones and like when you yeah. when when you've been selling coca-cola for so long and then you try to come out with dr pepper and then people are gonna be like fuck that shit. I want a Coca-Cola. And they're, and you're like, well, we're Dr. Pepper now. People are going to be upset. But like, if you're like, here's more Coca-Cola, by the way, we also have Dr. Pepper. Yeah, you're going to get some people to that. I think this day and age that we're in right now is so fucking cool for new creators. Like, the fact that we're able to do this podcast remotely right now is so oh, yeah. rad. Because... When you're an adult, and I say, I don't know how, it, like when you've got responsibilities, it is almost impossible to find time where you have to leave your routine to go do something. Like that's why, like when you get older, that's why your band, when you're in your early 20s, kind of falls apart. It's because like people get older and they have responsibilities and they have things that they want to be able to do. And asking them to like devote all of their free time to this one thing is just not realistic. But in this day and age, well, you could just do this virtually and it like, Hey, can you sacrifice a couple hours out of your day to do this? Absolutely. I can do that. And when I think back to it and I'm like, Oh man, I really wish like we stayed together longer. And it's like, yeah, like I would have loved to have like kept writing music because even now, like I write music for myself uh, it's not the same because I'm not with three other individuals that add a little mm-hmm. something extra to whatever I'm doing. When it's just me, like you kind of get like one flavor. It's like a sandwich with just like 
no condiments. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's just. I don't know about you. Like, I get stagnant, right? Like, it's easy to fall into a box where you're like, I'm just playing the same kind of riffs. I'm just writing the same kind of stuff. There's something about jamming with other musicians or working with other people. I think that really kind of just like pushes you out of your own. It makes you think different. Cubby, right? Exactly. And they play something or they bring something to the table. You're like, hey, what was that? was that thing you just did there on the base like oh, maybe yeah. i could do this on top of it right and now all of a sudden you're writing something you wouldn't have before so exactly i agree i think that that collaboration is important for sure man. that and just like there's no better time to like hey i want to make my own games do it we talked about this before hey and i promise you last week we did this podcast it was my fault that i don't know what happened it just didn't go live and we did a whole two-hour podcast I'm watching we us live. Yeah. I'm watching us live on a monitor right now, so I know this is this is out on YouTube right now. So we're good. But um, one week I don't open the chat, guys. Yeah, one I've got the I chat opened up, but like we've only had one person in there. Um, but yeah, like there is no better time than now to like anything you want to learn. You can just look it up on YouTube, and that's what I love. Like. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to make a YouTube channel and like, I just like looked it up and then I didn't know how to make a podcast like via the virtual web. And it's just like, I just kind of figured it out and we're in exciting times. And I would say more than ever. And I think a lot of people realize this during like the lockdown, the first lockdown is if there is something that you've always wanted to do, go do it. Go do it. Go dance on TikTok. Go, I don't know, sell your farts on the internet or whatever that girl's doing. Like, whatever you want to do, just yeah. do it. Um, And be okay with the fact that you're going to suck in the first bit, but you get better. One thing that I want to talk about, and I think Jay Retro should get full credit for this, and I kind of secretly think that this company hit you up for some coaching advice. But I, I'm happy to announce Mario Kart 9 is in active development and comes with the new twist, Analyst says. So we have been harping on Mario Kart 8 just being out for so long. They finally hit you up and took your advice. How was that for you, Jay Retro? Well, first off, shocking, uh, because like like we've acknowledged like that Mario Kart 8 is it's an endless money printer. Yeah, the, the the parade never fucking ends with Mario. Kart it's still in the top ten, like week after week after week. week. After, it, this thing prints money every time someone buys a Switch console. Every time the new holidays rolls around, this game continues to sell, and it sells at full sticker price, sixty dollars US. It never fucking drops, guys. So to me, like I. <clears throat> As much as I was like, well, you have to make a new one eventually. Yeah. I, I was like, they don't. It's so easy for me to believe that their financial and marketing department would sit there and be like, no, we fucking don't. This no, one don't. is still making bank. Like we're, yeah. we're selling them this fucking seven year old game and we're just making money. Who gives a shit? Right. We're selling them this Wii U title. We're still making money. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I did have to believe that eventually an argument does also get made that, yeah, but there's all these people that already own Mario Kart 8 and we could sell them the new game, right? And it's such a large install base that clearly they will buy Mario Kart 9. Uh, this thing is also going to print money. Why not just print money twice at once? Could definitely be an argument. 
Um, I've been waiting for this for so long, like for a new Mario Kart. I'm guys. If when you don't did know, Mario Kart Eight originally come out? Because I know, like you said, I, it was on I the Wii U. I want to say literally seven years ago. I want to say it's literally seven years old. Um, when it originally released, not deluxe, right? Keep in mind, we're talking OG Mario. Kart wow, you are on the yeah. Board. You're close. 2014 guys yeah may 29th may 29th 2014 we're coming up on eight years holy so we're, shit we're in year eight we're almost complete of of the eighth year here so but <clears throat> you're you're exactly right though like when you make a game and you're able to sell it full price for that eight years there is literally zero incentive for you to make a new game because maybe they were like this is just our console, our initial console release seller. So like, yeah, we could drag our feet and then we could make the ninth one for whatever comes out of the, after the Nintendo switch. Why put the development and the R and D into a game where this console is kind of like on the, like the kind of end of its life cycle. So this becomes the new question and this guy's, I don't have an answer to. Okay. So I'm just positing this. But one of the things over the past while that has been, you know, a giant rumor and it's come up and then got shot down and then it was confirmed and then it was deconfirmed and yeah. it goes back and forth was the idea of the Switch Pro. Mm -hmm. And we know that we got instead the Switch OLED model, right? But originally we thought we weren't just going to get an OLED screen. We were maybe even going to get a 4K Switch. We were going to get a Switch that was actually more powerful under the hood, graphics-wise, processor-wise. And instead we just got a Switch screen upgrade. Now, Nintendo has repeatedly gone on record as stating that there are currently no new switches in development zero new versions of the switch in development you know when else they said that for the last year and a half before they released the oled switch right so frankly i think nintendo's word on whether or not there is a new switch in development is worth fucking dirt at this point because they basically have bold they they basically bold face lied that there was no switch coming out before the switch light and then again before the oled switch so I find it very easy to believe that what actually happened is that they did want to release the Switch Pro in 2021. And what happened is we had the chip shortage yeah. and the global pandemic, you know, crisis with being able to manufacture technology. So they thought, okay, we still have OLED screens kicking around. We, we can't make newer processors and stuff as easily, but what we could do is just slap some of our old pressers with a new screen. We'll sell that for a year or two. We'll buy ourselves some time while we continue to work on what I don't think will be a Switch Pro. I think you're actually looking at the Switch 2 yeah. or whatever you want to call it, right? And I think we could see it as soon as 2022, and I think if we don't see it in 2022, we could definitely see it in 2023. And I'm going to say right now, I'm going to go on record that my prediction is that Mario Kart 9 launches in the same way that Breath of the Wild launched, where it's basically a simultaneous release between two generations of consoles. 
So, of course, they're not going to not release Mario Kart 9 on the current Switch lineup because you'd have to be an idiot to not release it on the current Switch lineup because you have one of the largest install bases in the history of video games. Yeah, You have to monopolize that. But I think they will also <clears throat> release a better performing, better looking version of Mario Kart 9 at the exact same time as a launch title for the Switch 2 or whatever the successor is. I think all of that 100% makes sense. Here are some facts that I think can back what you set up. So, again, right. we're in a worldwide chip shortage. Everyone's fighting for the same thing. They all need processors. They all need CPUs. So Nintendo has already negotiated their little section of processors that power the Switch. So the Tegra, whatever that NVIDIA put out. And they have like the fabricators for to make those. And they have that plant that makes them. So they've already negotiated that. So to be able to negotiate a new fabrication process for a new processor at this time damn near impossible because everyone's fighting for the same one company to make processors for them so mm -hmm. they were like what do we do and then it's like, okay we already have this processor let's just do what we can and i think the lcd panels for the original switch they don't make that anymore so all they have is oleds that they just have to make the same connector type to plug into the switch and they just have to re like they only have to like fine tweak a few things to make that work and then that's why we got the switch oled model uh that we have now and 100%. that all makes sense and nintendo's never been big into like putting a lot of money into whatever hardware that they release and because they don't need to so that's why when you're not willing to like and they're never willing to sell at a loss so none of their consoles, they don't sell at a loss like like the Microsofts and the Sonys do. Um, so when you're not willing to do that, you're not going to be high up on the priority list when it comes to different components that you're going to need for that, for whatever model that you intend to put out. So I do think I agree with you that they were always intending to have like a Switch 2 or maybe a Switch Pro. Uh, and then just current circumstances prevented that. And they're not willing to take a loss to put it out anyway. So they're just going to bite, bite the time. Everything seems to be selling perfectly fine. And hell yeah, like they're going to get their next banger set of releases ready for when they're ready to release that next version. And then they have a solid lineup right out the gate. And then they still like protect their current asset, which is the switch. We've got love face X, Y, Z. <laughs> That's obviously spam. <laughs> it says jerk off advanced wet girls are here. Sick. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, um, amazing. I'm so glad you dropped by to let us know that. <laughs> Is there any way that I could give you my social insurance number and credit cards at this moment? <laughs> uh, like, what do you need from me? How do we, how do we make this happen? Well, how do we get these, these hot <laughs> local singles in our area? I... I got to say, yeah, now the, the, my, this is my final point, guys. This is my closing comment for the night because we're at almost two hours and frankly, I need to go eat something. Yeah. But my closing comment here is that the other thing about this Mario Kart 9 rumor uh, is that they're saying this new Mario Kart is going to have a twist 
What a twist. It's going to have a twist. What is the gameplay twist going to be? And personally, like, first off, that rubbed me the wrong way when I heard that. (laughs) Because the last time we had a twist was Double Dash. And I know there are some Gen Zers and younger millennials out there in the audience who might sit there and be like, is this motherfucker about to say something negative about Double Dash? That's my fucking childhood. And I'm like, hey, man, that's cool. But you had a shitty childhood, okay? Because (laughs) I grew up when Mario Kart was a good game. And honestly, like, Double Dash was the worst misstep in the history of fucking Mario Kart. It's the only time that they truly fucked with the formula, and it's the worst one, (laughs) hands down. We're not going to take advice from people who fucking ate Tide Pods, okay? So, (laughs) like... Someone was eating Tide Pods when they came up with the idea for Double Dash, because they were like, hey, uh, we have this game that endlessly prints money, um, and the N64 game was as essentially just the snes game again but in 3d yeah so we should just do it again with better 3d right and they were like wait what if we drastically change the gameplay formula they'll love that i fucking hate it uh i would rather play mario kart on game boy advance than play (laughs) double dash i would rather play diddy kong racing or crash team racing i'd rather play garfield kart on the switch than play double dash because all of those games do a better job of giving me normal mario kart than double dash does (laughs) so like to me you're talking about a series where you've sold me the exact same formula repeatedly successfully since the fucking super nintendo don't change it i don't want any twists so then the question really becomes another thing is like how big of a twist can you do without it not being mario kart like how inventive can you really get we're talking about a kart racer you race around in go-karts and you throw shit at each other that's That's... kind of it right and so what else do you do right like mario kart 7 and 8 added like the hover kart right well there was parts parts of the track that go upside down and shit so they were like oh your cart you know zero gravity car or underwater segments right things like that i'm like yeah that's neat but that's not really a twist on the gameplay, really, right? That's so got to be tough, though, like, right? Like, it's yeah. kind of like the whole, like, why From Software's making armored core, an Armored Core game now is it's like when you've made essentially the same game so many times, you're kind of, you're like, how do we make this fresh? Otherwise, what is the reason for making a Mario Kart 9 versus 8? Because 8 yes. still looks fantastic. Like, that game looks so good. Like, I know it's it's nintendo graphics but they look amazing um game beautiful what are you gonna do like like are you gonna up the fidelity to 4k and it's like who cares like i i don't think anyone would really notice um to to me like i i just think like some video games are the acdc or slayer of video games i just want you to put out a new one of the same shit all i want is like new tracks new tracks maybe Maybe some new racers, which they're talking about doing. They were saying one thing like, and maybe this will be the only twist. And if this is the only twist, I'll be overjoyed. But one of the other big rumors is that it's going to start including, and we saw this with Mario Kart 8 through DLC and updates because they had like Link in the game and stuff. So we might see Nintendo franchises outside of Mario. 
it might start to be something more like Smash Brothers, where we just see like Kirby as a racer. We see Samus from fucking Metroid as a racer, right? Like I could totally see them going down that road. And if that's all they do, I'll be overjoyed. Because I'm like, sure, that makes sense. That's the next logical fucking progression. That would be awesome. Right? Maybe make a couple new weapons, right? A couple new power-ups. Oh, yeah. like 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 when you played N64 and you were like, oh, I can get three red shells at once. That's neat. You know, like little tweaks like that to the formula are great. Was what, that the that's... first game to have the blue shell? <clears throat> yes. 64 had the blue shell and it also had the three shells, which were yeah. brand new. Uh, so those are the biggest innovations that have been there ever since, right? And uh, I, I actually always argue it's funny because I, I posited it as like a ridiculous thing that I'd rather play it. But Mario Kart Super Circuit on the Game Boy Advance is fucking great. And it had essentially the gameplay, the controls of SNES Mario Kart, but it had all those extra power-ups that the N64 had had, like the blue shells and the three yeah. shells and stuff. So I thought that was a fun middle ground. But yeah, man, like that's that's my theory on Mario Kart. I don't want you to change it. I want more of the same. Okay. Uh, you know, and it's sort of the same with something like Halo. Like you can you can tweak the formula a bit. And yes, they made tweaks to the classic Halo formula and in infinite, but you're always running the risk of going too far off the beaten path. Yeah. To the point where you lose that core on. Where it's just it's not the same game. And it's like you you should have just made you should have just made some other game. 100%. So that's my, I, I don't think Mario, like, I don't think Nintendo, I should say, is that dumb. Like, I think they no. know that Mario Kart 8 printed money, that they're smart enough to be like, well, we can't change it that much because it sold for seven fucking years, right? Yeah. So hopefully that's, hopefully I'm right about that. And hopefully we get a game that just like improves on a really solid formula in minor ways. Cause I think that's all you really need to do. I like it. Jay retro. Where can the good people find you on the internet? They can find me on all those social medias, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that shit at jfree 86. As you mentioned earlier, they can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash J retro. And I will have, a new video dropping for you guys in the next day or two. We got Jimmy, it up right now. Hey, you got it up right now. Go over, drop by the page, give it a like, give it a subscribe and stick around for some more videos about gaming. Jimmy, where can the folks find you? Thank you for asking. Uh, you could find me at YouTube, at youtube.com for says for Tron. I am, I'm pretty damn sure I am like one or two subs away from hitting 3K subscribers. So thank you so much for all the people who are following me on YouTube. Um, I've been releasing videos like multiple times per week. Uh, I'm there. Definitely hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Fornitron. Um, yeah, uh, you're going to see a lot of content from the both of us coming out. 2022 is the year we're going to crush. We're going to crush. It's going to be great um but yeah that's it for me unless you got anything else before we head out of here that's it man that's it for me go play some games guys go go play some games if you got game pass go try something new you've never played before you know if you're over on i'm Sony, gonna try the ascent this week there you go maybe dip into the ascent like jimmy give that one out a try i have heard great things about and that hellblade game. ascent and hellblade those are the two games that i'm trying this week I, I should try Hellblade just because of how good the trailer for the new one looked. Because that, that's I why I want to try it. Made, 
I was like, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. Let's I both try it this one. this week. All right. Next week, me and Jimmy's review of the first Hellblade. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm looking. I'm looking we don't have to finish it. Just like it'll be like our impressions. Our initial impressions. I yeah. Say. Yeah. Not a full review. Uh, but yeah, guys, just go experience a game. Have some fun. I don't care if it's a game you're already playing. You just love it. Just go go get some games in with your buddies. Get some W's for us. And uh, we'll catch you guys. on the Ooh, one time. more thing. Um, I've released a new series. It's called The Road to Elden Ring. Elden Ring is coming out February 25th. I'm releasing a new video every Sunday until the release of it. And it's going over for new people who want to dip their toes into Souls games. And it's going over each of the From Software Miyazaki era games and like all the game mechanics, basic lore to get you started into those games. Every Sunday, the first episode is out now for Demon Souls. Please go check that out. But guys, next- if you want to learn about the Souls games, this is the guy. I have you my got, PhD. You got Mr. Games. Fucking Miyagi over here when it comes to Souls games. You get over there. You learn how to wax on, wax off. He's going to teach you how to beat that shit. And don't just get hype. Stay hype. <laughs> Elden Ring, bitch. It's coming. Elden Ring, bitch. All right. Jay Retro's got to get some uh, dirty bergs in him. We're heading out of here. Do us all a favor. Have yourself a great night. Here's everybody. Later.